an agreement to never speak disrespectfully to each yeah. other. There has to be an understanding that, listen, disagreement is acceptable. Disrespect is not. So we don't have to always agree. We're not going to always see eye to eye, but we cannot fall into the trap of being disrespectful to each other. I think also we have to create an environment where we don't let issues linger without addressing them, because that's another huge pitfall for a lot of relationships is that, you know, you do something, your girl gets mad, but she doesn't tell you. She doesn't fully express it for whatever reason. She just holds on to it. And now, because she's holding on to it, she starts to catch an attitude. And you're like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, you you have no clue what she was met out a few days ago because she didn't say anything. And now this lingering attitude is only confusing you more, pissing you off. Now you start to have an attitude. You see, and it, it just snowballs from there. So we have to have an agreed upon understanding that when an issue arise, it needs to be addressed within 24 hours. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's conversation is one that I think will hit home with many as we are talking all things relationships. And listen, relationships are hard enough as is. And when you throw in a pandemic, online dating, social media, and other challenges, it certainly can complicate things. But after listening to this episode, you are going to feel hopeful despite these challenges. Today's guest is relationship coach and author, Stefan Labossier, aka Stefan Speaks. Stefan is one of the most popular relationship coaches in the world. His mission, books, content, and coaching help millions of people overcome the obstacles in their lives that hold them back from having relationships that last. Stefan's message is real. His message is raw and relatable, and he absolutely speaks the truth. I can promise you that if you take the advice Stefan provides and implement it into your life, whether you are single or not, your relationships will change for the better. Our discussion today dives into how to heal from past hurts, and why healing is a non-negotiable for finding love and maintaining a healthy relationship. Stefan unveils his insights on things that will make or break a relationship and why people stay in relationships too long. We also discuss the pivotal role communication plays in partnerships and how to communicate effectively and also how to navigate conflict. Stefan shares why chemistry isn't the same as connection and how to know if you are truly connected to someone. Plus, we also discuss the keys to building relationships at last and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Stefan Speaks to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Stefan Speaks, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, I've been, I've been trying to get this done for a long time because you're like one of the world's leading experts on relationships, partnerships, healing, like doing the work to cultivate true love. And I know like there's so many questions that people ask you on like, why do relationships fail? Or how do I know if I found the one or how do I find the right partner? Or how do I get back into dating? And I know one of the things that you say is, is paramount in all of this is healing. So why do you believe that, that healing like must be at the core 
of all this stuff when it comes to finding love, finding a relationship, finding the right partner. And then how can, how does somebody like a know that they need to heal and then B what steps can they take to do so? Well, healing is the big key because a lack of healing impacts our perception of things. It impacts our decision-making it impacts our ability to be vulnerable, which is what real relationships and love require. So the lack of healing has such a huge negative impact on us that can pull us in the wrong direction and derail any relationship, as well as set us up to choose the wrong person. So that's why at the core of it, it's so important. And the reality is that I don't know that anyone who's walked this earth who hasn't been hurt. Everyone at some point in life goes through hurt, goes through disappointment. It's just a matter of who holds on to it and who releases it. And majority of people, to be honest, unfortunately, don't release it. And again, it, it's it's not only why we see struggles in dating and relationships. It's why we see struggles in the world, period. You know, just coming off my head right now, like, people who commit murders and all these crazy things, people don't realize a lot of times that's a, a individual who suffered a lot of trauma, who never resolved it, emotional trauma that is. And, and all that boils up to at some point it, it can drive them mad, you know, and it can push them to the edge. You know, people who are healed, who are healthy, who have released that negative energy, they don't behave in those ways. You know, they don't go around being negative and mean to other individuals. So, again, it has such a huge impact on society as a whole. Now, you had said, I think, how do you know you have healed? Well, well how do you know that you need healing? Because I think the people that haven't healed, a lot of times they're stuck in these same destructive patterns and in relationships, for instance, they're dating the same person. They're just, you know, they're wondering like, man, I just haven't found the one or why is it, why does this keep not working out? Or how come I can't find somebody? And they're in this, the same, the same rut. And it's hard to know if you, you need to heal. It's hard to develop some awareness. So I was just kind of trying to get your thoughts on what steps someone can take to know if they need to heal. To be honest with you, I, I think if you're alive, you need to heal. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, unless you can say you've, you've gone through the healing process at some point in your life, then chance, and you're an adult, chances are you need to heal. You know, it, again, it's really hard to make it past, I'll say 21 years old, to make it past 21 and not have been hurt, you know? And so I think it's just a safe bet for adults to just do it anyway, just to make sure, you know, but to go further than that, again, ask yourself, are you afraid of, putting yourself out there you know are you afraid of even being criticized like so one book that i love so much is outwitting the devil by napoleon hill mm. and in the book napoleon hill supposedly sits down with the devil and interviews him the devil makes the statement that 98 percent of people are under his control and one of the fears that he uses to control people is fear of criticism when I read that, I remember thinking like, dang, you know, so many people don't ever walk in their purpose because they're afraid of being criticized. So many people don't say how they really feel because they're afraid of being criticized. Some people never, never walked the path or even invented that next great thing all because of a fear of being criticized. And so it's paralyzed so many individuals. So again, asking yourself, 
And again, chances are you will have some fear of that. You will have some fear of, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to have to face what people might say about me. You know, really just d- diving deep into yourself and, and also asking yourself, what negative perceptions do I hold on to? And, and the big question is that I have people ask themselves to really check if they need to heal is asking who hurt me. Mm. You know, ask yourself who hurt me and really think about it and see, does anyone come to mind? And again, most adult people are going to have at least one instance, one person that comes to mind of who hurt them. And so all those things can help you identify when you actually need to heal. Yeah, it's so true. And I think there's a lot of people that think, oh, I'm healed. Like there's some people that say, you know, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to read this book and then I'm going to put a stake in the ground and it's done. But the fact of the matter is life continues to happen and we're always healing. Stuff's always going to happen. And especially as we've seen over the last like year, year and a half, when, when so many people have gone through so many unfortunate things, there's a lot that's happened and a lot of things that people need to address. And you've seen specifically a lot of relationships kind of blow up during the pandemic, during COVID. And I think one of the, the, the things that you touch on that I think is, is so crucial is this myth that time heals all wounds. Because I've heard you say you can just, you know, take time off and go hide and hide and like kind of just cover yourself away from the world, but you're not actually doing the work to heal whatever hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think healing is as simple either as just going to, to therapy, just going to therapy specifically and checking the box or reading a book, you got to do the work. Mm-hmm. So other like writing the who, who hurt me, I know you have people kind of get really into it. It gets pretty emotional when, when people do that. And it's not just partners. I, I've heard you talk about that. Yeah. People do this with their, with family members, their parents. So what specific steps do, do people have to go through when you put them through this exercise? All right. So I'll give a couple of the steps because all of it is in my book, Love After Heartbreak. So, you know, I would encourage yeah. anyone if they want to heal to get the book. But so the, the first step is the who hurt me list. That kind of helps you to identify what you've been holding on to, what you may have been suppressing this whole time. And I do want to mention because you brought it up about the idea of going to therapy. You know, I'm a big encourager of going to therapy, but I also tell people, listen, the unfortunate reality is that Therapy for a lot of people has turned into a venting session. Right. And so there are individuals who go to therapy for years and heal nothing because all they do is get let off some steam, get some things off their chest. You know, the therapist kind of just listens, maybe helps them process a couple of things here and there, but nothing is actually resolved. They also maybe learn coping mechanisms how to cope with the stress, how to cope with the hurt, how to manage the situation, but you haven't resolved anything. And so now once you're back in a relationship or back in a situation that triggers you, you realize you've made no real progress. If anything, you could argue you've gotten worse because you've hid the issue this whole time and allowed yourself to believe you're good because you go to therapy. And, and, And that's simply not true. So doing the who hurt me list, but then after that, an example is, okay, let's say on the who hurt me list, your mother is on the list. And I always mention mothers because a lot of people have mommy issues. And unfortunately, society has made it tough for people to face their mommy issues because we will applaud or encourage the trashing of fathers all day, every day. Everyone says deadbeat dad. Like, what is the deadbeat dad equivalent for mothers? (laughs) You know, there is no phrase 
that we've put on mothers to identify when they're bad like that. Because it's almost like, how dare you say a woman is a bad mother? But you can say a guy is a bad father all day, every day. So with that said, a lot of people don't even understand the the extent of their mommy issues. But anyways, let's say your mother's the person on the list. So the next step is writing her a letter. And I break up the letter into two parts. So there's a first draft where you're kind of just letting everything off your chest. It's, it's like an emotional detox. So this is the first draft. You can curse your mother out. You can, hell, you can wish death on her. You can say any <laughs> evil, nasty thing. I, I simply want you to get all your raw, toxic emotion out. No finding the right things to say. No political correctness. Just let it rip. And then once you do all that, you know, you're going to feel... You're going to feel a weight come off your shoulders just from doing that. And then there's part two. And like I said, in the book, part two, I mean, in the book, it explains how to do part two, how to go back and correct part one so that we can make sure that at the end of the second draft, you have expressed yourself fully, but in the most effective manner possible, Mm. you know? And again, there's a few more steps to the whole process, but those are the who heard me list and that first draft is huge like you can't skip those two steps there's just no way around that you know i think it's possible that even if you didn't get to the other steps you might you're going to still experience huge progress just with those two steps but at the end of the day you need to do all of it yeah 100 percent. and i think there's definitely something to be said for getting your feelings and your thoughts and your emotions out on paper and almost like channeling a lot of that, that negative energy into something positive and i say positive because maybe at first it's gonna it's gonna hurt right but long term it's gonna be more positive because you're healing a part of you that was once hurt and then you're able to hopefully get some healthy dialogue between maybe it's a family member maybe it's a parent that you haven't been able to have this intimate conversation with before about why they hurt you because i know you lead people into other steps down the line on how to articulate that in a more like I guess meaningful way to have conversations with family members, so it's yes. not you're just your raw feelings that you're saying to the parent. I, th- I think you have people kind of go through it and then reread it as if you're hearing it from their perspective, and then you're yes. able to bridge that gap to have a healthy conversation. And then it's also like you're feeling this weight come off your shoulders, so that you're able to to move on um, with yourself, heal a little bit. And then put yourself in a good position to be able to go out and say, find that partner, which I'm sure is what the million dollar question is right now, because let's face it, dating's tough right now. You know, there's a lot of things that have shifted online. You got virtual dating, you got in-person dating, the divorce rates have obviously skyrocketed. So like, what do you think is, is a good like next step for somebody that say they've gone through the healing journey, they've gone through this, who hurt me list, and they want to find the right partner or somebody that they can get along with, like what steps can they take? Right off the top of my head, I I really think it's simply about putting ourselves out there. You know, I've come to realize that a lot of people, we've gotten lazy. So as, as much as times have changed and have made things a little bit harder, I do think that our, our work ethic when it comes to finding a partner has also gotten worse. And whereas before, I think when when you're younger, you have more energy for it. And back in the day, there was a lot easier routes to meeting people because a lot of people met each other through work. And nowadays you have a lot more people working from home. So that's eliminated that aspect. You had a lot more people connecting through mutual friends and family. And I would argue that because with, with, with family units, 
deteriorating, to be completely honest with you, that's made it harder for more people to connect through that way. But ultimately, if you're willing to put yourself out there and be consistent, I think you can find it. And so putting yourself out there may be the online dating and and taking it more seriously, because I think that a lot of people, they jump online and they're either kind of hesitant about it or they give it a half effort. You know, they don't really make the effort to put up their profile in the most effective manner. They're not as consistently on as they need to be. For some individuals, they see you got to pay $30. Oh, I'm not paying that money. Well, okay, well, how bad do you want this? Like, okay, you, you spend more money on dumber things that do nothing for your life, but God forbid you have to spend a little bit of money to find a relationship. Like, And I think that's the other problem is that people feel that, well, the relationships should come easy and it should fall in my lap and I shouldn't have to do all this and jump through all these hoops, but it's like, this is the way it is. You know, and, and I would liken it to finding a great job. Like you, if you want a great job, you're not, you can't just expect for it to fall in your lap. You got to go out there. You got to go on different sites and put your resume here and put your resume there and talk to people and connect. So I think it's more so about making the real effort and again, being consistent because here's the other problem. People might go online to date and if in one week they don't find what they want, I'm giving up. Oh, this isn't working. I'm done. It's like it's like going to a gym for one week and giving up because you didn't you didn't get a rock hard body, you know, after yeah. one week of working out. You can't do that. You gotta stick with it. So I think that's really what it boils down to for a lot of people. So I think online dating, I think with things opening back up, going out, but but more so identifying where what what places will have the crowds that you are looking for or you feel comfortable in. And then going to those places. And again, I think a lot of people are quick to assume, oh, well, that doesn't happen in my city. You probably aren't looking hard enough, you know, and uh, they, everyone has an excuse because it's been pandemic. But I think, again, as we open back up now and things start to shift back to some level of normal, there's going to be more opportunities. And it's just a matter of, OK, who wants to really put themselves out there and make it happen? Yeah. And, and I think going back to the online dating, I think there's, I think people feel a sense of shame in many cases. They're like, why can't I just meet somebody like in a normal way or in a grocery store or at church? Mm-hmm. Like, why do I have to go online? Like, why do I have to, to swipe and do all these things? And then I also think there's probably this, this idea that, that people believe that these, that the people who are on the dating apps are just looking for a quick hookup and they're looking for a relationship mm-hmm. where I think now, maybe that could have been the case years ago, but I think now, more people are meeting online than ever before just because of people being on their phones more obviously the pandemic it has exacerbated that as well so i do think that one of the things that's important when looking for a partner is kind of really not only doing the self-discovery work on yourself but finding out what you truly want in that partner so that when you do go out and you start looking for somebody you're able to kind of just spot out like somebody that's interested so do you have any advice for like some steps somebody can take to really dig deep on what they want in a partner. Yeah. And before I answer that, let me also say this. I think people have to accept that online is the new normal. Yeah. Like we we're not living in the nineties anymore, the (laughs) seventies or the eighties or whatever. This is the new normal. And I will go a step further and say, I don't think people are utilizing social media the right way because social media is the new grocery store is the new bookstore. That is where you randomly can bump into somebody 
and see something that interests you. And I think like I hate seeing women who are single who say they can't meet anybody have a private profile on social media. I'm like, why are you doing that to yourself? You're only making it harder to meet someone when this is a place. And here's the crazy thing. I would argue that online, especially social media, has increased the ability to meet people because you have now become more visible to more people in a shorter span of time. But again, it's do you make your profile visible? Do you even set your profile up in a way that shows you in a great light? Do you basically use it to your advantage? But to answer your question of uh, figuring out what you want, I think one, again, it starts with the healing because without the healing, you don't understand your true self. You're not comfortable with your true self. And therefore, you don't know who really aligns properly with you. I also think number two is kind of connection with the healing is detaching from what society has led you to believe or even the church has led you to believe you should be going after. Because I feel like a lot of people, they're trying to pick someone who maybe their parents would like, or again, the church community would approve of, or the society says you're supposed to go after this kind of guy, this kind of, no, stick to what you like and, and also what kind of life you want to live. Because if you fight your true self and what your true self is drawn to, you're only making it harder because it's almost like you love chocolate but you keep going to the peanut butter store to go shopping. Like you, you can't do that because even if you find some good peanut butter, you really desire chocolate. And so you're going to always have this inner conflict and everyone you do meet in the peanut, in the peanut butter store, you're going to say, ah, then they don't have this. So ah, they're missing that rather than just accepting because you're shopping in the wrong store. You're, you're just not being true to what you genuinely like. And I do feel like a lot of us, know what we like, but we fight it a lot of times for various reasons. Another thing is just really just kind of evaluating our our past experiences to understand, again, what really works for us and what doesn't. You know, the the key is all of us have had either interest in people or actual relationships. There's a way to learn from those things to understand what really is good for us, best for us. Also, of course, you know, it's talking to God because I always say, listen, we know what we want. God knows what we need. And, you know, sometimes, yes, what you want and what you need can perfectly align together. But some people, what they want is completely off track from what they actually need is going to be best for them. And, And it's not even just what you need as in like, suck it up and take this because that's what you what's best for you. No, what you need is it's going to actually make you happier than you realize. Right. You will be at a higher level of satisfaction with what you need. And God knows exactly what that is because a part of that is we sometimes are choosing in the now and we're not considering where we're headed in life. God knows where we're headed. So he knows what ultimately is going to stick with us. Whereas what you may want today can change very easily in a year. And again, this can happen. And I'll give two examples of how this can happen for men and women. It can go vice versa. But for a lot of men, they'll choose women based on their current financial position, not where they're trying to go. And I always say to, say to men, you need to ask yourself, would you be with her if you were rich? All right. Like at the end of the day, if you had the money you wanted 
and you were aiming for, would this still be the woman you want to be with? If not, you're choosing the wrong woman. But if you can say, yes, even if I came into a million dollars tomorrow, I want her. Okay, good. You're good to go. On the flip side, with women, a lot of times they choose men based on their brokenness, you know, and the fact that they are not healed at the moment. So they will more likely choose a dysfunctional broken man because in this not even a weird way, but it it seems weird to others. He's safer to them emotionally. He's easier for them to deal with. But what they don't realize is if you ever come out of this brokenness, you're going to look at this guy like, why am I with him? Why is he here? And you're never going to be able to have a successful relationship with that kind of guy. So you may want him all, you know, a whole lot right now, but he is not best for you. You know, so I think really understanding, talking to God, but also understanding or getting in tune with where we're headed in life. And that's why a big one on the list, you can say the next one is finding your purpose. You know, to me, when you find your purpose, that's when you can very, you can easily see, or, or it's easier for you to see what truly connects with you, what aligns with you. That combination of what you want and what you need is so much easier to come together when you have purpose in your life. Mm. Yeah. And you, and you touched on something that was, that was so important. And I think it's this notion where you got to date based on reality and not potential. Yeah. Like, like what's actually in front of you right now, if you were at your highest self and and where you wanted to go and where you wanted to be, like, is this what you would want in a partner or in a relationship? Because I think the dynamic that you see that's pretty common is you see one person who I, you know, not necessarily totally healed, but somebody who's emotionally stable, emotionally available. And the other person is broken, not healed, emotionally unavailable. And then you hear the one partner say, Oh, I'm just waiting for them to heal or they're doing the work. So like how long is somebody supposed to wait when they're in a dynamic like that before they say, you know what, I've had enough. I'm, I'm out of this relationship without you know being too hard on their partner. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. I think I have found a new addiction, and that's the Paleo Valley beef sticks. When I first came across these, I was honestly quite skeptical, being that most beef sticks are highly processed unhealthy and gross but after trying the ones from paleo valley i was instantly sold not just for the taste but because they are grass finished grass fed and fermented plus the company is family owned and accessible which seals the deal for me so many people ask how can i get more protein in my diet when i don't have the time paleo valley has you covered with their high quality beef sticks i have even been recommending them to my personal training clients they come in many flavors But personally, I am digging the summer sausage and teriyaki. So if you'd like to give one of the best healthy snacks on the market a try, go to paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Again, it's paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. To be honest with you, outside of, well, Okay, if you're already years in or you're already deep in, all right, if you want to give it 30 to 90 days, and I'm really hesitant to even say that, I'm going to really say, if I had to give a number, 30 days to see some real progress, all right? If we can make real progress in 30 days, we can keep going and we keep evaluating every 30 days. But if 30 days goes by and there is no progress, you need to go. 
Mm. Um, not saying that you can't leave the door open for a future reconciliation and making things happen, but we have to understand that healing is a very difficult thing for a lot of people. Facing that pain, facing those traumas are scary. And so if they're already in a relationship with you, they're actually, there's not the incentive there to face those struggles. All right. It's like, what? it's almost like I always use if a job required you to get a master's to work there, but they hired you anyway and said, oh, okay, well, we'll wait for you while you work for us to go get your master's. Well, you might pursue it if getting the master's is still very easy. But once the master's gets hard, you're not going to go because you're already getting paid from your job. So there's no reason. You don't have that motivation to say, let me fight through this because I need to conquer this to get what I desire. The reality is that most people don't overcome obstacles without proper motivation, which is why most people don't ever get over things until they hit rock bottom or until they lose something of value. There has to be some kind of incentive. And so being in a relationship with someone who's already broken and has not healed, you, you've really undermined that, you know? And, and I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying it becomes really hard. And that's why 30 days at the most, you got to see some progress or you know what? I have to take a step back. I love you. I care about you, but this can't work right now. Right. You no. Know, and once you get yourself together, all right, we can come back to the table and we can do this. Yeah, you're you're so right because I think what can end up happening is then the relationship can can become like super toxic and there's a lot of fighting. There's mm-hmm. a lot of trauma that can happen within the relationship. Obviously, the 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 connection, the chemistry, the compatibility is is all lost. And and staying on that topic of of arguments, I know that. You know, what happens, I think, in society is that it's like, you know, it's it's one side or the other. There's the one side that expects relationships to be all sunshine and roses, like a Hallmark movie. And there's going to be like no no arguments, no disagreements at all, like nothing. And it's going to be super easy. And then there's the other side that's like, oh, like if you're disagreeing and you're arguing all the time, that means there's passion. Mm-hmm. That means that that people, that's good because you're supposed to disagree and you're supposed to kind of banter. But I know what you said is there's there's a healthy medium like relationships are tough, but you shouldn't just be screaming at each other when you disagree on something. So what are some healthy ways if somebody has a disagreement to be able to settle that without it creating distance in a relationship? Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm such a huge encourager of writing letters, because writing letters isn't just for the healing process. To me, writing letters are great ways of communicating so that we don't fall into the, the trap of getting into an argument so that people, because, you know, when, when you're addressing a lot of issues, people can get defensive, people can deflect, distractions can come about. It just, there's so many things that can make the conversation go left and you don't properly address anything or we can fall into an argument. But with a letter, it allows you to get everything off your chest Make sure you correct your tone. Make sure you convey the message fully. It allows the receiver of the letter to process things in their own time, at their own pace. They're able to to process without the need to rebuttal in the moment. Mm. You know, and that's the thing. When you think about it, what derails a lot of conversations, verbal conversations, is that while you're talking, that person is listening so they can formulate their rebuttal. They're, they're trying to process 
and angle their argument at the same time. (laughs) So you can't, you're not giving your energy to any one thing fully, which is why you don't end up hearing properly or you don't end up expressing yourself properly in return. But when you, when it's via a letter, you're able to just focus on receiving the message. And then whether you write a letter back or now you communicate verbally back, you're able to now focus on just giving the message. So it allows both sides to be more effective at both listening and expressing. And so I would argue that that's the best best approach. But then on top of that, always having safety measures for when we do fall off track. So, okay, if we do start to talk verbally, because sometimes that's inevitable, we're going to have verbal conversations that can get a little out of hand. Well, the minute it gets out of hand, somebody has to be able to say, hey, you know, like pull us back. We have to recognize, okay, when this happens, one of us has to call that out and we both need to agree. Maybe it's, okay, we step aside, go and time out for a second, cool down, then we come back. Maybe it's having uh, a two hour cool off period before we even start the discussion. Just coming up with different agreed upon, understood safety measures. And the reason why also that's very important to do that in advance is because one of the most annoying things is to want to talk to your partner and they're like, okay, I, I need time. I need time. And now you're sitting there wondering, okay, how much time do you need? And now it's, it's two hours. It's four hours. It's 24 hours. And now you become more agitated. And again, because there's no pre-agreed structure, it, the vagueness creates confusion, creates chaos, creates more animosity and resentment. But once we can agree in advance, okay, if, if the agreement is you get four hours to cool off and that's it, all right, now there's less confusion there. Now when, you, when they say, I need some time, you get it. Okay, I get it. You need your four hours. Go take it. I don't have to sit there and rack my brain about when are we going to finally get to talk. I know it's in four hours. So now I can focus on something else until those four hours are up and we go talk. So discussing those things in advance and creating as much guidelines and structure and clarity is going to help remove all the pitfalls that happen from arguments and and heated discussions. Yeah, I think that communication and, and handling conflict are two of the most important things for, you know, having a healthy and long lasting relationship. So other than having healthy dialogue around conflict, what are some other things that couples should communicate about like in advance to set their relationship up for success? Uh, Well, definitely an agreement to never speak disrespectfully to each other. There has to be an understanding that, listen, we can, disagreement is acceptable. Disrespect is not, you know, so we don't have to always agree. We're not going to always see eye to eye, but we cannot fall into the trap of being disrespectful to each other. I think also we have to create an environment where we don't let issues linger without addressing them, because that's another huge pitfall for a lot of relationships is that, you know, you do something, your girl gets mad, but she doesn't tell you. She doesn't fully express it for whatever reason. She just holds on to it. And now because she's holding on to it, she starts to catch an attitude with things. you, And you're like, I don't understand what's going on. Like you, you have no clue. What, what she was mad at, the, mad at a few days ago because she didn't say anything. And now this lingering attitude is only confusing you more, pissing you off. Now you start to have an attitude. You see, and it, it just snowballs from there. So what we have to have an agreed upon understanding 
that when an issue arise, it needs to be addressed within 24 hours, you know? And if you do hold on to it for whatever reason, and I ask you what's wrong, you got to be able to say, I'm pissed off about the other day. You can't say nothing, <laughs> okay? Right, right. And then now I'm over here confused as to what the issue is. And again, these things always contribute to unhealthy environment, unhealthy communication, and other issues arising in the relationship. To me, those are probably the, the biggest ones. And then I like to have what I call relationship checkups, where there's a structure of, okay, maybe once every three months or once every month, whatever you want to make it, where we agree to sit down, discuss these things and go over what we like, what we don't like, you know, kind of a relationship review, so to speak. So again, we don't let issues linger. We create an environment where we're always being open and transparent with each other and we're keeping things in proper alignment and on the proper path. Mm. So outside of, of the communication and, and healthy like conflict resolution and some of the other things that you just talked about, what are some of the other main things that you see that seem to lead to relationship breakdowns? Well, I, honestly, I, that that's most of it. I think it's, it's really just, again, the lack of healing that leads yeah. to relationship breakdowns. Because what I've seen is that a lot of issues aren't even about your current partner. It's projections from past mm-hmm. relationships, past experiences that you're now putting on your partner. You're now being triggered by little things that, again, your partner doesn't even know is an issue or understand the issue, you know? And and that's also why that inner journey and that healing is so important so that you even understand why you get triggered about something. I've had plenty of times where clients got upset and when you ask them why, they didn't understand why they were triggered. That's why it's so important to just do the work within yourself because you just run such a huge risk in devaluing your relationship. And I think, you know, the reality is that, again, when you have not healed, it's going to contribute to you even choosing the wrong person to be with. And that is the start of relationship conflict. You're simply with the wrong person. And so even with some great structure and understanding and effective communication, you're going to have a hard time because you're with someone you don't properly align with. And the reality is that some people are just going to hold on to their issues. Some people are just toxic right now and they're not going to fix that while with you. They might fix it some point in their life. And unfortunately, some people go to their grave, never fixing it. And so it's that's why it's so important to make sure there's a foundation of healing within people's lives before we get too deep with each other in a committed relationship. Absolutely. And and I think one of the other things too, that you talk about that is extremely important for people to know is that one of the big things that people can, one of the big things that they, they can help somebody know if they're with the right person or not is if they feel connected. Because I think we live in a world now where the big word that's thrown around is chemistry. Like, oh, I have chemistry with this person or we get along. Like there's many people that we can all get along with. You know, if you're a good person, if you have healthy communication, if you're not, if you're a nice person, you can get along with a lot of people. doesn't mean you're going to have this deep, meaningful connection that's going to lead to you spending the rest of your life with them. So if you could explain the difference between having chemistry with someone and a connection and how does somebody know if they're feeling connected versus just having chemistry? Yeah. So, and you're 100% correct. I think a lot of people 
try to use chemistry as a foundation that just doesn't work. And so chemistry is something that can come and go. You can build it, you can you can create it, you can destroy it. And so the best way to look at it is like sports teams. Put some players together who don't know each other and they can learn to have chemistry. At work, you can have team building exercises to learn to have chemistry. Chemistry is simply learning how to get along with each other or learning how to work with each other. Because sometimes people can have chemistry as far as they can work together, but they don't get along. They don't really like each other. You know, again, using sports teams, some of those guys have great chemistry on the court, but would never hang out with each other outside of the team sport. So chemistry does not cut to the core of people and true connection. Connection is something that you cannot create or nor can you destroy. It's either there or it's not. And so with, with connection, it's much more of a rare occurrence to meet someone that you have a connection with. But you can have chemistry with tons of people. And this is just something that's hitting me right now. For those who are believers, do you really, like, to me, God is not going to give you, if, if chemistry was the key, why would he make it such a common occurrence with everyone? Because that would be confusing. Because I could literally line up 100 women and have chemistry with 50 of them or more. How am I going to know which one I'm really supposed to align with if I'm just using chemistry? But connection, you're lucky if you can say you have connection with more than one person. You know, most individuals who have experienced it will say it happened once in their life. Again, it's a rarity and, and it's arguable if it even was a second time, but let's just give that consideration two times, maybe max. Mm. All right. So to me, that is a greater indicator of the person we're supposed to be with and also a stronger foundation because with that connection, that connection again is to the core. It's we can be ourselves with each other. We can talk to each other. We enjoy each other's presence. There's just so much more to it. And I believe it's an occurrence within the spirit. It's my spirit recognizing its match. You know, it's something that's deeper going on, whereas chemistry is very surface driven. And, and you got to go past that if you really want to make sure this is for you. And I think that people, they, we live in a world now, I think, where there's so much, there's so many people that are looking for instant gratification and looking for these, or they make these impulsive decisions. And especially when it comes to dating, that they're looking to date just to date. So they'll just go out and they'll meet somebody. And even though in their heart or in their gut, they know it's not going anywhere, they just have a void or they're feeling insecure because they're single. And they're like, well, I'm just going to hang out with them because we get along and I, I enjoy their company and just and just see where it goes, even though, you know, it's not going anywhere because you just don't feel it with them. Maybe you don't even have a lot in common and then you just waste a lot of time. And then mm -hmm. I think it just prolongs the inevitable of it not working out. Maybe you end up creating some more some more wounds that you need to heal. And now you're just you know pushing yourself further and further away from actually meeting somebody that you can spend the rest of your life with. And I think people now, I think we've lost the ability to practice patience where we need to, it's better to be intentionally single, I think, and do the work and, and heal yourself and, and, and work on your business and do other things than it is to be with the wrong person. And you feel a lot more alone with the wrong person or even around like a, a, a friend group that you shouldn't be surrounding yourself with. So like, why do you think other than lack of healing, 
do you think that people stay in relationships or date the same person a lot longer than they should? Because you hear it a lot where people, they were married and they got divorced and they knew that they shouldn't have been married like super early on. It's well, let me, before I answer that, let me say this, because as you were talking, I, I do think that you hit hit it on the head when you said we've lost the ability to be patient. Yeah. And so it's crazy because you could speak to an 18 year old and they swear they're running out of time to find love. You speak to a 24 year old, they feel like they're running out of time. You speak to 20, it doesn't matter what age the person is at. They all feel like time is running out to find love. And I think the, what happens, and this is the reason why people hold on to chemistry is because it's easier to find it. So basically it eliminates the need to be as patient I again, I can go out in a week and find someone I have some chemistry with. That gives me more hope. But if I have to wait for connection, Lord have mercy, how long will I be waiting? You know? And I think that innately people understand that that deeper thing takes more time and they don't want to wait. So they need something else to validate holding on to individuals that aren't best for them. And chemistry is one of those things. The other reason, though, now to answer the question specifically as far as why people stay in these relationships, fear of being alone, fear of starting over, fear of they don't feel like they can find anything better. You know, there's been a lot of situations where people were in toxic. So let's put it this way. Let's say woman or man, you just came out of a relationship where your partner was physically abusive. All right completely mistreated you, super duper toxic. Now you meet somebody new and they treat you really well, even though it's still not what it needs to be. You're still not really completely happy, but there's such an upgrade from the last person you dealt with. And that's if that's all you knew, especially if you've been in multiple abusive relationships, someone who's at least not putting their hands on you, even if they're a little verbally abusive, you'll be like, okay, you know what? This is the best I've ever had. Can I really risk walking away from this thinking I'm going to actually get better? They don't believe better exists. So that, that, that tricks them into thinking I should hold on to this. And this is why you have, you have those situations where the person will say, you'll never find anything better than me, you know? And the person really believes that like, dang, maybe this is really it. And maybe I should just be happy that I can even get this person. Not to mention, forget it. It could be it could be the perception of the upgrade from what they've already experienced in their own relationships, or it can also be an upgrade from what they saw their parents go through. I've seen people, uh, and more specifically in this specific example in my head, I've seen a woman validate the relationship she was with, the person she was with, even though it was an unhealthy relationship, because. He was better than her father was to her mother, you know? So her father used to be extremely abusive to her mother. This guy wasn't physically abusive, but it was still a very toxic relationship. But she said, well, mom, you know, I, my mother had it way worse than this. So I should be grateful for what I have, you know? So there's a lot of just unhealthy perspectives created from these, from these experiences that contribute to people holding on to individuals they shouldn't be holding on to. I also think peer pressure, right. you know, friends and family. Why don't you find somebody? When are you going to have kids? Blah, 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 blah. This happens. To, this pushes a lot of people into holding on to someone that isn't for them. Sexual relationships as well, or, or just having sex with someone creates that soul tie, creates that attachment. 
the individuals that then again, people start overlooking the red flags because they don't want to let go of that specific benefit. And for some women, it might be on the reverse. It might be if he's paying all her bills or something. I've had situations where women were with abusive men, but did not know how to walk away because he was financially securing them. And so they sucked it up and dealt with it, even though they shouldn't have. So there's just so many different things that play into it. But I would say fear of being alone and the fear of not thinking you can find better are probably two of the biggest ones pushing that issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really true, because I think I don't know. I might be butchering the phrase, but somebody once told me that you marry your unhealed baggage. So Mm. I think a lot of people, if they're used to growing up in a toxic environment or they've been with toxic people in their past or the relationship dynamic hasn't been healthy, like that's going to be their new sense of normal. And they're going to just accept that as being okay because they feel in their mind that that's okay based on their prior experience, which is why I believe like the whole healing part is so important because once you begin to address what needs to be healed, you can gain some understanding of what you're holding on to or what's going on in your past so that you don't have to necessarily always take it forward with you into the next relationship. So you hear a lot about the honeymoon phase and you hear a lot that like once that wears off, it can kind of make or break a relationship, I guess, because then you start to really see who that person really is. You're not maybe as excited all the time to see them. So like, what are some things that people can do, not necessarily to prolong the honeymoon phase, but to like, once they get through that, that period of excitement to continue to build authentic connection, to still be attracted to their partner. I, I think that what you can do is you, you got to not let the honeymoon phase blind you from digging deeper into your partner and into the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think what happens is in the honeymoon phase. So let's say you meet somebody, you're highly attracted to them. You guys have great chemistry. Everything is so great on the surface that now you don't want to ask the tough questions. You don't want to really dig into understanding who they are because you're just caught up in trying to enjoy the moment, enjoy the wave of the hype that's going on right now. But I think that if you simply dig deeper at that time, you would either snap out of the honeymoon phase a lot faster because you would then see, oh, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought it was. Me and this person are not on the same page. They're not for me. Or it would actually strengthen the honeymoon phase, because now as I continue to dig deeper and I'm seeing, holy, you know, this is real. Uh, you know, this is really it. There's a connection here. We're on the same page. Now we can now work on prolonging it. But I think also prolonging it also stems from recognizing why it's even here. Mm. Meaning, okay, if we're going through a honeymoon phase because we are having long conversations if we're going to the honeymoon phase because we're going out on dates and enjoying ourselves, if we're having the honeymoon phase because we're making sure we're looking our best for each other, okay, well, to keep it going, we got to keep doing those things. I think what happens for a lot of people is they get past the honeymoon phase, they get the relationship, and now they're like, oh, okay, I don't have to impress you anymore. I don't, I don't have to look as good anymore. I don't need to be on the phone with you as long as anymore. I don't need to go out and take you on dates as often anymore. So naturally, the phase disappears. And now we get into this complacency, which now can recreate resentment, create unhappiness, and cause all kinds of other issues. So I think we got to dig deeper while in it. 
to, to really understand who we're dealing with. And then we have to identify what are the things that we're enjoying so much right now. And again, be, be intentional of doing those things consistently moving forward. And I think there's a major difference between security and connection, because I think when people go through this honeymoon phase or they're excited about their partner, they, of course, they get this sense of security because, again, there's a lot of people that when they're single, they feel insecure and they want to know that they're not going to be alone the rest of their lives. So they get into a relationship. And then once they have that security, which is what a lot of people want, then everything kind of falls to the wayside because then they start they stop doing the things that got them the security in the first place. And they don't really get to build that, that true, meaningful connection like down the road. And I think mm-hmm. relationships probably start to fall apart like at that point. So like, what are some of the, the more non-obvious things that can really make a relationship last like a long time? I mean, I'm not talking like one year, two, I'm like, I'm talking 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, we know obviously connection is important. Conflict resolution, communication, you know, treating people with respect, but is there any other like tips or, or things that, that couples can do together to make sure that their, their relationship will last like a really long time? Honestly, these may sound like shallow things, but number one is attraction. Yeah. I don't think people understand how much diminishing of attraction deteriorates the relationship. And unfortunately, society has shamed people into feeling like they can say anything about it. Like, you know, a man doesn't feel safe telling his his girl, you gained a lot of weight. You know, that's like, yeah. how dare you even <laughs> say that? Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and, and women, for various reasons, don't tell their guy when things have fallen off. If I'm being honest, some of them only don't say it because they don't want you pressuring them. So it's like, all right, I won't mention anything about your gut. Don't say anything about mine. Okay. You know, it's like, <laughs> just leave each other alone and we just move along. But, but unfortunately, not speaking about these things and not holding each other accountable to keeping ourselves up, it starts to deteriorate the relationship because at the end of the day, romantic relationships are built on the ingredient of attraction, not only attraction, not that that's all that matters. But you didn't get with your partner without the attraction being there. So how do you expect to stay with them and to have the same quality if you allow that to fall off too much? Mm-hmm. You know, and again, people rather make excuses rather than put in the work to maintain that. And then I think from there, it's also, again, it's, it's all those things that helped us want to be with each other to begin with the attraction, the going out and having fun. So like, I, I always use this example of one guy who, when he met his wife, he would always take her dancing. She loved dancing. And she was very happy about that. They get married two months. I think she said two months into the marriage, no more dancing. That had a negative impact because it's not simply about dancing. It was about fun. It was about doing something together. It's about getting out. And, and what do people do as we get, oh, I'm tired. Oh, we're getting older. Listen, that's not an excuse. You can do things to increase your energy and you got to be willing to make an effort. If there's a will, there's a way. But a lot of people rather make an excuse of falling off or letting themselves go than to do what's necessary to keep these things going. And so again, I think it's just continuing to infuse fun and excitement in the relationship because people just get too comfortable, too complacent, too routine. 
though I'm a big fan of structure, there still needs to be some level of spontaneity in the relationship as well from both sides. I, I, I have to say, I think that there's an emphasis on men needing to be more spontaneous, but I don't think it's spoken about enough for women more specifically to be spontaneous in the way that the man wants. So what I'm saying is, all right, she may want to take a spontaneous trip out of town, but he may not care for some random trip out of town. (laughs) So that's her level of spontaneous. That might be something great for him to do for her, but that doesn't really make him happy. Spontaneous for him, not to be vulgar, but spontaneous for him might be grabbing him into a bathroom and giving him the business for a quick minute. You know what I'm saying? That might be the spontaneous that keeps him on his toes. It keeps him happy. That has to be there too, you know? So I think both sides recognizing, okay, how can we be spontaneous for our partner in the way that they like it, not just the way that we like it? You hit on something that I think is is really important in that the the necessity of the partners being attracted to each other because I think a lot of times what happens is if you say, oh, like my partner's so good looking or my partner's hot or whatever, or I only want somebody who looks like this, people will say, well, you're being shallow or looks aren't everything. But what I think what tends to happen is there's a lot of people whose eyes wander in relationships or maybe they cheat because they've lost attraction, physical attraction in their partner. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the the main reasons I think that you'll see people start to you know, go out with other people, or maybe they'll have affairs is because they've just lost interest in the physical attraction of their partner. It's not the only reason, right? There's plenty of other reasons, but I think one of the other big reasons, this is going to be my, my last question for you is that they feel like they're not getting their emotional needs met in the relationship. Yeah. So how do you like, what, like, what advice do you have for people listening to this who are looking to either get into a relationship or are in a relationship to, to make sure that they can have their emotional needs met in a relationship so that their eyes don't start to wander or they don't start to get them met from someone else. So real quick, before I answer that, let me just say in regards to physical attraction, you know, there's nothing worse than to walk into a world of beautiful people but come home to someone and you're like, dang, that's how you look. <laughs> like <laughs> Again, it, it's not that we expect our partners to be supermodels or whatever. But when you can't come home to feel like, dang, my partner looks good. You know, again, we're going to always find people who look better. So to me, that's never the goal is they got to look better than everybody else. But they got to look good to us. Right. That's it. They got to look good to us. That's all that matters. Okay. And I think that we we got to understand it it only gets harder when you don't take care of that. But as far as getting making sure your emotional needs are getting met, I think that one again it's about communication. It's about being honest about what you need, being very clear about what you need. And and, and that's why I believe in structure so much because for example, if if someone if if your wife says to you, "Hey, we need to talk more." To you, if you guys only talk once every couple of weeks to you talking two times a couple of weeks is improvement, but she may be looking for three, four times a week. She might be looking for every day. So without that clarity, you can't fulfill the need, you know? And I think that people assume that the other person should know how much is enough. You know, again, it's almost like telling a woman, well, we need to have more sex. If you're only having sex once a month, which yes, there are couples that exist only having sex once a month, 
If you're only having sex once a month, she may think she did a great thing by bumping it up to twice. But you may have been looking for several times a week. You've got to be very concise and clear about what is your need? How does that get fulfilled? Also, of course, if you want your emotional needs met, you got to make sure you're meeting their emotional needs. So we have to always make sure, okay, we we have to be clear about what we want, but we have to also embrace what they need as well. And we can't neglect that. We can't put that on the back burner because we're only focused on us. You want to always make sure you're doing your part in the relationship, which gives you greater standing when you present what your concerns are, when you present what you need in return, because you can say, listen, I, I do for you the way that you need me to do. So now I need that in return, you know, for me to be satisfied and happy here. And I think, again, just just taking care of the little things, because people don't realize that emotional neglect tends to stem from other issues. So if, if again, it could be attraction. If we're losing attraction, we're not going to be as receptive to each other emotionally. You know, it could be if we're being disrespectful when we do talk. Now people are going to be a little bit more distant in the relationship. So we have to make sure we cover all our bases if we want to maintain emotional fulfillment in the relationship. Yeah, it's you're so spot on. And I think the one thing that you said that's, I mean, there's many things you said that are are important for people to hear. But one of the main things is that you have to make sure you're fulfilling the needs of your partner too, because it's, it really is give and take, not in a tick for tack way, but yeah. if you're going and asking your partner for certain things, I think you got to make sure that you're playing, you're doing the work too. You're keeping your side of the street clean and that you're, you know, giving the your partner, whatever mm-hmm. they're looking for in the relationship or whatever you've agreed upon in the prior so that the relationship can continue to, to ebb and flow in the way that it's meant to for the long term. So Stefan, this has been awesome. I think the audience is going to get a ton out of this conversation on healing, on relationships, on communication, on conflict, on emotional needs, and just how to not only obviously maintain and find a healthy relationship with somebody else, but how to have a healthy relationship with themselves. I think at the end of the day is so important in the world that we live in today. So I'm sure people are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to buy your books, where can people find out more about you? Where can people connect with you? Yeah, they can go to my store, stephanspeakshop.com. There they can find my books, more information, links to my social media. You can find me, Stefan Speaks, on all social media platforms. And yeah, you know, check out the work and, and definitely check me out on YouTube as well. Awesome. And for those listening, what I want you to do is I want you to go check out Stefan's books, his work, and, and buy one of his books. You're going to get a lot out of it. Now, what, what I want you to do is take a screenshot of this episode, tag him, tag myself with a takeaway, something that you're going to implement to either improve yourself or improve your current relationship or a relationship that you want in the future. Because we'd love to hear feedback. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And we'll see you next time.